Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord, I do thank you so much for this, this morning, for this time, for this place, and for your word, um, and most of all, for your son, Jesus, Lord. I pray that as we uh, study your word today, Lord, that you have already been preparing our hearts to hear what it is that you have to say. Lord, thank you so much, and in your name, Jesus, we pray, amen. All right, well, how many of you have or had brothers or sisters growing up? Okay, most. Great. <clears throat> I have an older brother and a younger sister. So that makes me what? Middle, Middle child. That's right. However, I like to think of it as center child. <laughs> now, I think, though, that center children, we get kind of a bad rap. Like, we crave attention, and we want all of the focus to be on us, only on us. And I, I don't really think that's true. So let's take a poll Right here. How many of you um, in this church right now are center children also? Just raise up your hand if you're a center child. Anyone at all? Anyone? No one else? Just me? Only me? That's so weird. <laughs> anyway, growing up, my brother and sister and I, we were pretty good kids. We never stole a car. We never shaved the neighbor's dog. We weren't perfect, though. And in order to keep us in line, my parents had a yardstick. Now, the yardstick wasn't to measure out the boundary of good behavior. Um, it was understood that if we were disobedient, we would get spanked with the yardstick. Anybody else? Anybody else's parents have a yardstick? All right. Now, if we were obedient, no yardstick, and it was good. But if we were disobedient, yardstick. Now, knowing ahead of time did sometimes deter us from disobedience, and it was well with us. But sometimes the temptation to ride the mattress down the stairs <laughs> was too much to resist. And so we did it, knowing that if we got caught, yardstick. And it wasn't that we thought that the ride down the stairs on the mattress was worth the yardstick, but rather we thought we would get away with it. But as the Bible says, there's nothing done in the dark that won't be revealed. And inevitably, my parents always found out whenever we rode the mattress down the stairs. And then, yardstick. Now, because we were warned ahead of time that if we were disobedient, we would get the yardstick. When we got the yardstick, we didn't complain, but said, yes, you are right and just to pour upon us the yardstick. Anybody buy that? No, we still complained. We tried to negotiate our way out of the yardstick. We whined, it's not fair. My brother made me ride the mattress down the yard, uh, the, the mattress down the staircase. We accused our parents of being mean. We said, you don't love us, even me, the center child. <laughs> but looking back, I can see that my parents took no joy in applying the yardstick. 
It's as the saying goes, it hurt them more than it hurt me, which is very hard to understand when you're on the spanky end of a yardstick. But it's true. Their actions weren't just punishment. They were corrective actions. It was for my own good. Afterwards, through the tears, we would say we were sorry. And my mom and my dad, they would hug us to show us that they didn't stop loving us, that we were still their children. Now, what would have happened if my parents had said, if you're disobedient, you'll get the yardstick, and then we were disobedient, and there was no yardstick? What would have happened? Well, I believe that we would have begun to understand that there were no consequences for disobedience. And we would have become worse and worse and worse until we were driving around town in a stolen car with the shaved neighbor's dog riding shotgun. (laughs) Now, maybe you're wondering, what's my point? Maybe you're thinking, I'm just stalling that I don't want to have to talk about the 54 verses of curses. But Deuteronomy 28, what we're going to look at today, 54 verses of curses, is God's yardstick. You understand? As we read through them this morning, I want you to keep in mind this image of God as a father who loves his children and is trying to help them, not harm them. That as he warns them, understand that he will take no joy when he must follow through on these consequences when they are disobedient. Rather than picturing God as a cruel master laughing at the suffering of his subjects, see him as the loving father who weeps, knowing that despite his warnings, his children will still disobey and bring upon themselves the consequences that will ultimately be for their own good. Amen? That's where I want you to be as we read through these verses today. Chapter 28, starting in verse 14. It says, So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left. Again, by the way, I'm again amazed that I can see completely perfectly clearly. Isn't that amazing? I had to put my glasses on this morning to read, but all of a sudden, perfectly clear. You realize when I pray for God to pour out his spirit on me so that I can do this, I don't specifically ask for him to give me clear eyesight. He just knows to do that. Isn't that neat? God, you're amazing. Verse 14, he says, don't turn to the left or the right, but it starts off with the word so. It could be also, therefore, don't turn to the left or to the right. And we know that that means it's referring to something that he has just talked about. And we know, because we've been going through this, that what he's just talked about is the blessings and the curses that come with obedience or disobedience. He's saying, I've given you all these warnings about being obedient and being disobedient, so... You shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command to you this day to the right or to the left. And this is a very, very clear message. And he follows it up with why he's saying he's talking about idolatry again. He's saying, my way is this way, the straight way. That's what he's saying. Don't you go to the left or to the right. 
to the left or to the right. And that's not really talking about, you know, directionally or geographically, but literally he's saying, do not turn away from me to go to idols this way or go to idols that way. Now, again, we talk a lot about idolatry when we're going through Deuteronomy, and that is in one sense because they're going into a land that is filled with idols, literally statues that they would pray to, right? But we know that once God sent the, the, um, the, his people into Babylonian captivity because they, were, they do actually turn to idolatry, he cures them of idolatry by sending them into captivity. So when they come out of Babylon, out of captivity, they're cured of this type of idolatry. And yet we still see John in his first letter writing to them. John 5, chapter 21, it's the very last verse of John, the, the first letter of John, says, children... Stay away from anything that puts something in place of God in your heart. Literally, in the New King James, he says, keep away from idols. And this is in the the end of the New Testament. He's still warning them. And it's not statues anymore to them. It's not statues. It's anything that takes the place of God in their heart. And anything that takes the place of God in your heart is still considered idolatry. And so it's warned about over and over and over. It is one of those things that we have to protect ourselves against. What are the things that you're putting in place of God in your life? And we're going to, it's kind of an overarching message, so we're going to come back to it. But he's saying, do not turn to the left or the right. In fact, as I was reading, this was a verse that I love that you probably all know that speaks to this as well. Solomon, when he wrote this in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight, not to the left and not to the right. It's a great verse. You know, you know why I had that verse memorized? Because it was a song. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So, so that's, you know, if you want to memorize scripture, sing it. Sing it. If I put, you know, pick a, pick a really hard verse about, you know, tumors and mildew and just put it to music. And it'll get in there. See, at the end of that verse, he says, because you're going after other gods. By going to the left or to the right, it means that you are turning off to other gods. You're putting something in the place of God in your heart, as John would say. Then it says, 15, I wish 45, right? No, it's 15. (laughs) But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. I have a little note right there. You know what it says? Yardstick. This is God's yardstick. He's saying, if you do these things, if you go to the left or to the right, if you turn to idols and stray from me, yardstick, consequences. I'm telling you ahead of time is what he's saying. Now, that word overtake is such a a, a key word right there, okay? Because it means that, uh, literally it means it will, will catch up with you. Right? Overtake you there. It says that the, the, these things, these consequences, these curses are going to catch up with you. So it's not like they happen even in many cases immediately, but rather they will catch up and overtake you. And there was an example that I read that was like, like a police chase. Okay? 
Like, um, have you ever, I'm sure no one ever here has ever done this ever, but like gone through a red light, you've probably seen people do it, right? Do you ever see someone go through a red light and they get pretty far down the road and then what do you see? Lights, right? Police comes down the road and then there's a chase. Um, I remember that show Cops, you know, bad boys, bad boys, of course. (laughs) Right? There was police chases all the time, right? And so you would see the police, and, and they, they broke the law, they transgressed, and here come the police, and they try, and finally they catch up with them, or they overtake them, right? And that's kind of this idea right here, is like these consequences, these curses are going to overtake you. They're going to catch up with you. You may think you're getting away with it, and you might get away with it for a short time, but they are going to overtake you, catch up to you. Now, 16 through 19. I'm just going to read them here. Cursed you will be in the city, and cursed you shall be in the country, and cursed you shall be in, in your basket and in your kneading bowl, and cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall be when you go out. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It's exactly the reverse of verses 3 through 6. Look at, three, look at three through six. Blessed you shall be in the city, and blessed you shall be in the country, and blessed you shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of the ground. It's a complete reversal of what he said will happen if you are obedient. And so it's a complete turnaround right there. It's a reverse or the opposite of the blessings that are provided or promised in verses three through six. God says, go this way for blessing. And we go, hmm. But if I go this way, which is the way I feel like I want to go because I don't really want to do what I'm told all the time. And God says, look, go this way, blessings. And we go, nah, I'm going to go this way. And then we go this way and we're surprised when we're not blessed. And God was like, I told, I told you this way, blessings. You did the opposite and there are consequences. You did the opposite. I'm going to go in the opposite direction, we say. And what you are essentially doing is you're walking away. You are walking away from the blessings that God said, blessings this way. And you said, I'm going to go the opposite direction so that it's you making the choice to say, I'm going to walk away in the opposite direction of the blessing." But you know what's really cool? Do you know how much God loves you? He says, okay, well, when you get over there and you discover you're in the midst of curses and consequences, I'm going to make a way for you to say, hold on a minute. feel like I'm in the middle of some curses and some blessings. And God says, you know what you can do? You can turn and you can come back to me. You know what that's called in the Bible? Repentance. That's right. God says, I'm going to make a way for you to turn away from the direction you're going away from me. You can repent and come back. Isn't that last week when we talked about Pentecost, what was the first thing that Peter said when he preached and said, this is what has happened. This is who God is. He sent Jesus. And all of the people that were there that heard him said, what should we do? And what was the first word he said? Repent. The way you're going is away from God, but God made a way for you to come back, to be reconciled. It's called repentance. And this is what we see. There's a way for us to come back. So in verse 20, the Lord will send on you 
cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you do, that your, so your hand will do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly. Let's read that again. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly. That's really harsh. <laughs> that sounds really harsh, doesn't it? So it's like, God's mean. He doesn't love us. Look what he's doing to us. Look what God is doing to us. Look what the verse says, though, right at the end. It, it, why would God do this? It's answered in this verse. Because of the wickedness you, of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The New, the New Living Translation says, it's because you were doing evil and abandoning me. God says, these things are coming upon you because you are doing things wickedly and have abandoned in me. It's not as if God is saying, I'm just going to be mean for, because I'm mean and I'm all powerful. I could do whatever I want. He's saying, you're making the choice. You're making the choice to do evil and abandon me, God says. Abandon me. Again, I'm, just, I'm always going to point you back to the example from the beginning, a corrective God whose goal is to bring you back through corrective, not punitive, actions because he loves you so much. But when he has to do, and, and basically what he's doing in this second half of this chapter is he is telling them their history before it even happens. Because everything he says uh, everything he says, when you do this, this will happen. When you do this, this will happen. They will do all of it. They will do all of it. They haven't done it yet, but they will. But he's telling them their history in their present, right in that moment. And I believe it is breaking his heart to have to, to, have to tell them this is what's going to happen. I think he weeps for them when he has to tell them this. In 21, it says, the Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, inflammation, with severe burning, with fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew? <laughs> mildew? I mean, wait a minute. He's going to consume you. Uh, he's going to strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with, with mildew. <laughs> That's so odd. I, I mean, I was kind of struck with it. I was like, mildew? Holy smokes. And so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to look that up in Hebrew and see what the word in Hebrew means. Um, and actually, the word in Hebrew, you know what it means? Mildew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It means mildew. So, you know, and then I begin to really understand this idea because have you ever gone in to clean the mildew out of the cracks in your bathroom shower? Like you have like the wall right here and it gets mildew and then you're like scrubbing it and scrubbing it and you kind of get it to go away and then you come back like three days later and it's there again. And you've got to cut the grout and cut everything out and replace it. And get, it's just like, ah, mildew. So I feel like I could deal with a fever. I, mildew drives me crazy. And... And this is, but, but it's just, this is the thing. It's like the, the frustration that comes along. And what we're going to see some of this as we go along. These are the things that are going to happen as a result of their choice to go a different way than the way God is saying, blessings this way, all this bad stuff this way. And yet they're still going to be like, I don't know, this looks really good over here. You know, whatever it is they've got going on, I think that looks good. Even though I know if I go that way, yardstick. They're thinking, oh, we probably could get away with it though. But God will know. God always knows. He always knows. 
And your heavens, which are over your head, shall be bronze, and the earth, which is under you, shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain and your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies, and you will go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and you shall come and you shall become a troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. First of all, he says, um, I'm going to stop the rain. As a corrective action to your disobedience, I'm going to stop the rain. Now, rain to them was different than rain to us. To us, rain ruins men's fellowships and cancels pickleball games. <laughs> to them, rain was life. Rain helped their crops to grow. Rain watered their cattle. Rain was what created water for them to drink. It would, it would fortify the mountain streams that turned into rivers that would flow down. Without rain, there was no life. They couldn't raise crops or cattle or drink or live without rain. And God says, I'll take away that very thing in order to correct you, in order to turn you back to me. He says, you know, well, he'll cause you to be defeated. So remember, I said, your enemies are going to come in against you. Um, this was in the blessing section. Your enemies are going to come in as a united front, but they're going to leave. They're going to scatter in seven different ways. But now he reverses it, and he says, but you know what? You're going to come in thinking that you're a united front, but I'm going to scatter you. And that's what's going to happen. And then he says in verse 26, your carcass shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Okay. All right. This would be incredibly offensive to the Jews because they would never let a body be picked apart by birds or animals or anything. In fact, they would go out and find every piece. If someone was killed, they would find up the body and they would take it and they would bury it. So when they heard Moses say, your carcass shall be left where it falls for, the, for food to the animals, they would be appalled at that. In fact, I imagine in my head, right when he said this, like, like a gasp. And I just want to try it. So I'm going to say it. And when, when I say, when I finish, and, and no one will frighten them, I'm actually going to say, your carcass shall be food for all the birds of the air. I want you all to gasp together because I just, I just want to hear what it sounds like, okay? And that's how I'm Moses now and you're the people. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air. <laughs> yes, cool. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> that was better than I imagined it. But listen, there's, there's, it's important what he's saying is that, you know, there's not going to be any dignity in, your, in, the, in the dead body. You know what's really cool, though? That, do you just, like, just, how often do you use the word carcass? Right? Like when you eat a chicken or something, and, like, what you've got left is, like, the, just the useless part, unless you're making soup, I guess. I get it. But, but it's just, like, the carcass. I would never refer to my body as my carcass. Right? It, it kind of demystifies the body when it's like, ah, you know, this is just my carcass. <laughs> but I think that, you know, sometimes we can get a little, a little like too wrapped up in our carcass. <laughs> like we, maybe we, we nip it or we tuck it or we tan it maybe a little bit too much. And if we really just started talking about this as our carcass rather than my body, like if you had a carcass building contest, <laughs> no one would go. Who would sign up for carcass building I think maybe that's where, 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 you know, in order to get that proper perspective, 
that the Lord, you know, Paul called it our tent, right? This temporary living space that we inhabit until the Lord calls us home or comes back to get us. Um, maybe we should, instead of a tent, we should just start saying, check out my carcass. Or, you know, it's like, man, he's got a good carcass. Not, we would never do that. So I think that's good. I'm just going to start talking. I'm going to start calling it our carcass. But, but you see what God says? He's, uh, he's, he's uh, equating uh, a body without a soul, without a life in it, as just a thing. Right? You understand? You understand how God sees it? He's like, if, if your soul isn't in there, if it's gone, it's just a carcass. That's it. That's it. Then in verse 27, it says, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. You cannot be healed means um, by any works of any man. You know, like for them, there was no person that could offer them a remedy for this itch. Um, in King James, the itch is called the botch. Right? If you have a King James Bible that says, God will give you the botch, um, which is really just kind of like, sounds, but it sounds about right because this is the deal, right? This isn't just talking in general. This is like in Egypt at the time when the, the, Nile, the Nile River at certain times of year, the water, if you drank it, you, would, you could contract this disease called the botch. And it was um, like an itch, right? And it would start off in a little spot and you'd be like, and then it would expand up your whole arm. And pretty soon the itch would take over your whole body until you were just covered with this botch where all you would do is just like, and, and here's the thing. The fact is you'd be sitting there going, oh, I'm scratching like crazy. And everybody would know that you drank the water from the Nile in the time when you really weren't supposed to and you contracted the botch, right? And it was something that everyone would know. You couldn't hide it. It would spread all over. And as I was reading this, I was like, this reminds me of sin, doesn't it? Right? There's things in our lives, things in our world, things in our culture that God says, no, you're not to partake of those things. But just like the Egyptians at those times, maybe there was some kind of appealing factor to the Nile at that time that they knew, I might get the botch if I drink this water, but I'm going to do it anyway because, you know, I can handle it. I could handle it. That's not going to happen to me. And even if it does, I can handle it. It's no big deal. And then they drink the water and it's like, oh, no. No. And then someone looks at them and they're like. <laughs> and you're having a whole conversation and they're like. Because mm. you could feel it. And it's like sin, isn't it? God says, don't partake of this. And you're like, hey, you know, it's, that's not gonna, that, it's not going to get its claws into me. I can handle it. And you do it, even though you know you're not supposed to. And you start to get that, like, itch, that feeling. And I believe the itch in this case is like the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you knew you weren't supposed to take that. Now it's just going to spread throughout your whole body. And pretty soon you're like, Ugh. the beautiful part, and here's the thing. There was, he says, there was no way to be healed from that, that itch. There was nothing that man could do that would heal them from that itch. But differently than sin, because God says there is a way to be healed from sin. There is a way to be forgiven. There is a thing that can be done to relieve you from the guilt of sin, the itch that comes over you. And for them in the Old Testament, it is going to be a substitutionary sacrifice that was going to be offered for them on an annual basis. But in the New Testament, it was Jesus. And Jesus came 
so that sins could be forgiven once and for all, cleansed once and for all. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that there is now a way to be healed once and for all through Jesus Christ. I mean, has God a loving God? Does he make a way? He does. He sure does. It says in 28, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart, and you shall grope at noonday as the blind man gropes in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one will save you. It's just confusion now. You don't know what the right answer is anymore. You're in a fog, in darkness. That's what's coming, he says. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. Frustrated at every turn, God says, you will be frustrated at every turn. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies and you shall have no one to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people and, and, with, and your eyes will look and fail with longing for them all day long. And there shall be no strength in your hand. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. You shall be driven mad, not angry, by the way. You know that means like, like, you know what I mean. Yeah, like, ah! The Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed and from the soles of your foot to the top of your head. The Lord will bring you and the king whom set over you to the nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you. You shall carry much seed out, of the, out to the field, but gather little, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but they shall neither drink, you, you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all of your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for the oil shall drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. I gotta just stop on this one. What this is saying is that your sons and your daughters will be taken captive by another culture. It's happening. It's happening. There is a culture right now that is taking our children captive because our nation has turned away to the left or to the right from God. Now, maybe it's, maybe it's not happening in your family because you are making God you know, the, the main thing in your life. But you need to also be careful that if you are not following God, that's, you know, when the Bible talks about a generational curse, the idea is your unbelief in God transfers to an unbelief in God in your children, and a culture comes along like the one we have right now that says it doesn't matter whether you were born a boy or a girl, you get to decide. 
It doesn't matter how God created you, the one who created all things and holds it all together. He's not right. You're right. And you're eight. Disgusting. And this country is losing their children to like a, a, a very small number of people who have created a new culture. And I don't understand it. I do understand it, actually. Because this is what God said would happen. If you turn to the left or the right, your children are going to be taken captive by a foreign culture. We know it, but we have to guard against it. So many people don't realize what it is. You know what, the, like, I, I'm just this, I'm being driven mad by this very issue, this idea. This idea that we get to decide, we get to decide, we get to decide. It doesn't surprise me, but you all understand, we get to decide very little. We get to decide to follow Jesus, and that's the best decision that you can make. Do that, and then trust God, and he makes your path straight. Right? You know, this is reflected, and if you just look out across the, the magazines across the last several decades, people, us, Woman's Day, I guess that was pretty good. You know, now it's like, I'm surprised that we don't see like me magazine, me and like everyone, you, you get a, you get your own subscription and it's just filled with pictures of you. <laughs> me magazine. I'm going to get Oprah. <laughs> How can you have a magazine where you're on the cover every single month? Every single issue is Oprah on the cover. Every issue. It is her me magazine. That is, I'm surprised we don't all have Me Magazine. Me Magazine, because that's where we're at. It's me, it's my choice, it's mine, it's me, it's my truth. Not your truth. You have an opinion, you're entitled, but does it make it true? He said you're going to lose your children to a foreign culture. It's happening now still. Happening now still. What's the answer? Turn your eyes on Jesus. Go his path, not to the left and not to the right. Follow Jesus. It says, locusts will consume all your trees, the produce of your land. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come lower and lower, and he shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, you shall be the tail. Before, remember, God said, if you're obedient, you'll be the head. They'll be the tail. Really what that means is you will be forced to follow whomever is in front of you. Whomever is placed over you, and it's talking about these are the ones who you don't know, the ones who don't know your God, the foreigner, the alien. He's talking about the ones who are foreign to who you know. They're going to come in, and you're going to be forced to follow them. Moreover, all the curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed, because, because, look at it, you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. They turned to idolatry and abandoned God and his instructions. You understand God's actions that he's talking about here and what you will see play out over hundreds of years were not punitive or punishments, they're corrective measures to turn them back to him. All of this will come upon them because of idolatry when they turn to the left or to the right. 
See, I know this because as I studied this, I began to see all of these curses as, as categories of curses. And when you see these, you begin to understand what God is doing. Now, just track along with them and go through these quick. Verses, we, and we went through all these verses. 21 and 22 are the idolatry of health that he strips away. The idolatry of health, saying, we aren't worshiping God, we're worshiping how healthy my body is. Healthy bodies are great, but when it takes a place before God, it's an idol. It's an idol. If you are like, uh, you know what, I go, to the, I go to the gym every day. Every day I go to the gym and look at my carcass. <laughs> I only read my Bible on Sunday mornings. Your health has become an idol. He strips, he's going to strip it away. In verse 23, 24, he says, no rain. That you think that you're raising crops. You think that the, the idea that you're doing all of this, I raise up my cattle, I raise up my crops, I'm the one who provides water. And God says, that idol of you having that like self, I'm, I'm the self-authority in my life. He goes, strip it away, it's idolatry. Verse 25, the idol of self-strength and my ability. Like you're gonna go in, what is 25? Let's see. The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. And they're going to go into, um, after the battle of Jericho, where God gives them this amazing victory, they're going to go on to the city of Ai, and they're going to be like, you know what, God, we got this one. There's just a small little village. We got it. They're going to go in. It's like 3,000 people. They get defeated because they went in under their, their, the, the illusion of their own strength and their own ability was an idol, an idol of their own strength. And God says, I'm stripping that away. Um, <clears throat> the idol of your own intelligence. He's like, you know what? You're just going to wander around in a fog then. You think you're so smart? You think you've got it all figured out? I'm going to strip it away. It's become an idol. You have put too much leaning on your own understanding. It's become an idol. The, uh, th verse 31, the, the idolatry of your own accumulated resources. All of my stuff, look at my house, look at my cars, look at the things I own. I've got jet skis and boats and nice golf clubs and look at all this stuff. This is all of my stuff. And God says, but it's an idol now because you've put it in place of me in your heart. It's gonna strip it away. Verse 32, the idolatry of earthly relationships. Did you know that a relationship in your life could become an idol because you're putting it in place of the place that God deserves in your heart? You know, obviously God wants you to love your spouse and love your children, but you know what he will say? Love me more. Love me more. Love me more than your spouse. Love me more than your children. Do not put your children in my place in your heart or it's idolatry. That, isn't that what it's saying? 36, the idolatry of my own established power and authority. He says, you know the king you have in place, the people that you've put in place that you think you voted this person into power and you think now that that is where your salvation lies, now it's an idol. You've put the people that you've placed into authority in my place. And God says, I'll strip that away. God says, I will strip away all your idols until I am the only God you have left. But... I'm the best one, he says. You know what? You want him to do this. If you're steeped in idolatry, you want him to strip away the idols, the other 
false gods so that you are left with only God because he is the best God. Amen? Listen, I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to read the rest of this chapter. I'm going to leave it all to you. That's your assignment. Go home this week and read through the rest of this chapter. And read it this way. Um, rather than to think, man, this is really heavy and really depressing. Or read it like this. Lord, thank you for the cautions and the warnings before I turn to the left or to the right. And... Thank you, Lord, for loving me so much that when I am disobedient, you love me enough to correct me and to restore me to you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you. I, I, Lord, I am so thankful for this perspective that you say, please look at my word and see my heart for my people and how much I love them because I will make a way for them to be restored. I will warn them ahead of time, you say to us. And even though we don't always listen and we still go astray, Lord, you make a way for us to come back. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus, who you sent to be the ultimate sacrifice for my sins, that I could be healed. As there was no healing for the itch, there is nothing man can do to cleanse his own sin but you did it, Jesus, on the cross for me. Thank you. Lord, I pray for each and every person here today that there was something in your words today that pierced their heart that they'll take from here today and they will ruminate on it all day and all week. Lord, I pray that as they do go through and read the rest of this passage for themselves this week, Lord, that they will not see you as a harsh, mean unloving God, but as a loving Father who corrects. Thank you, Lord, for your yardstick. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Thank you.